all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during the hour concerning any kind of health care questions that you might have. That's right, any kind of question about a medication that you're taking or perhaps it's a new problem that you've experienced or maybe even a new diagnosis and you want a second opinion, we are here for you today. We're going to try to get you the answers to those questions that you need right now or to point you in the direction that you need to go to for the answers to those. And as always, we uh, are here by email as well. The number to call right now if you'd like to uh, to ask those questions is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. But if you're not able to call, you can always email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Hope everybody's staying cool. Big heat wave, big potential for health problems. We're already starting to see some of that uh, in clinics and in the ER right now, um, and just really affecting just about every part of the United States this week. So uh, lots of of things to think about. Do not uh, push it, It, particularly if you have other health problems like high blood pressure or kidney disease or diabetes. You really need to stay hydrated. Hydrate before you go outside. And then um, try to stay out of the middle part of the day because you're just not going to be able to keep up with it. Uh, so it's it's really hard to keep up with fluid losses under these conditions. So please be careful. Seek out the shade. Uh, don't uh, don't push it in the middle of the day because we're going to see some really big heat indexes this week. The number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to our first caller. It's David from Horn Lake. Good morning, David. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I got a question about medical. I can't even talk this morning. I'm tongue tied. Medical marijuana. Um, it seems like the uh, hype is all pretty much positive. I'd like for you to do this. To discuss in detail, if you can, about the effects of mar- medical marijuana, what it does to the body as far as your reflexes and your ability to function as far as um, uh, driving a vehicle, because you know somebody's going to abuse it. That's just human nature. you got people going to abuse marijuana and abuse gambling and abuse this anyway. Uh, and uh, what it does as far as um, um, uh, if, and if it leads to uh, stronger, if any studies were me- uh, uh, medical marijuana leading to stronger addictions or stronger stuff? Yeah. Great questions, David. Uh, And a lot of people are asking these right now. Certainly a a lot of moving parts in the medical marijuana um, uh, industry right now in Mississippi and how that's going to work. 
So in talking about it, I'll, I'll say a couple of things just to directly answer your questions. And then if we have time, maybe speak a couple about sort of what that process looks like for people. Uh, as far as negative, uh, you know, potential negative uh, side effects of it. And by the way, this is, you know, any kind of medication you take has the potential to cause some type of adverse reaction or a side effect. Side effects are things that are predictable. Uh, those are things that uh, that in, under certain conditions can be exacerbated, can be stronger. And certainly there's a dose relationship with that. So uh, with marijuana, if you take too much of it, it is a depressant. So it basically slows down processes. So it's similar. Uh, some of its effects are similar to alcohol in larger qualities, uh, it, it quantities. Um, it also can increase your appetite, and that's one of the positive effects, particularly if you have a chronic medical condition or chronic pain that you're losing weight. Uh, cancer patients, palliative care patients, certainly that's, that's one of the potential benefits that are there. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's the biggest thing is it, it will slow down your reflexes. It slows down uh, pretty much all your bodily processes that have to do with reasoning and making uh, decisions in a quick fashion. So when you ask the question about driving, you know, can you take this and drive? The question is, if you're impaired, and impairment is the word to think about. So any kind of prescription medication that causes similar side effects, for instance, um, some of the uh, some of the anti-anxiety medications uh, that are prescribed, like the benzodiazepines, um, those are things like um, um, Ativan, for instance, or Xanax, or uh, even muscle relaxers. So a lot of those are very common. Some of those can have a sedative effect. And if you are driving and have a wreck and you're taking those prescription medications, you could be liable for your actions because you are potentially impaired while you do that. So that's very important. Um, Just because you have a medical marijuana card that's been... um, that's been signed by a physician who's had the training and knows how to do that doesn't mean that you can use that all the time with impunity uh, because you still, if you have, you know, even if it's smaller amounts, that is a big issue is driving uh, or operating heavy equipment, anything else that, you know, that that's going to require you to be really on top of things. So that's, that's not going to change at all. Um, and um, and quantity again is a big issue. That's that there's limitations on that. As far as access to it, you know that this is a little bit different than say a doctor actually prescribing marijuana. So roughly how this happens is a patient presents himself to their physician who again has been trained. There's a a minimum requirement for the amount of training that they need uh, that a physician would need to prescribe this. Uh, safely and accurately. And basically what they do is they sign uh, a card that then you that says that you have a medical condition or conditions that would qualify you to, uh, to be dispensed medical marijuana. Then you would take that card and go to a dispensary and you would be the patient would be then responsible. So it's not like a prescription. It's almost like if you think about a handicap tag, basically. So a physician signs that. It's up to you to park in the right spaces. It's up to you if you have that medical marijuana card to go to a dispensary. It's all on the patient at that point. And if the if the patient 
takes too much of it, if they don't do it exactly like it's dispensed, if they uh, if they have in their possession more than they're supposed to have, those are all legal ramifications with that and behavioral manif- uh, manifestations uh, that are downstream that can you know potentially cause some problems. So, David, I think those are excellent points to bring up. And uh, go ahead. Well, I hate to interrupt you. You answered several of my questions. Going to ask you, but one more question that is not in your line of expertise or whatnot. But I want to put this out there just as a feeler. Uh, let's just say, for instance, I get a medical marijuana card and I, I'm using it as prescribed or whatnot, and I want to go get a job. Does that, if they go test me for alcohol drug testing, and it shows up that I'm using that I'm using marijuana and I got THC, the active ingredient, or whatnot? Does that mean that uh, I won't get hired? And also, if I'm a medical marijuana and I'm involved in, say, a workman's uh, comp injury or a death, could that impact? I realize you can't answer that's more of a legal terms, but it's just something I want to bring out there. We're in, we're in a wild west area. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that, David. So, so, yes, so that is both, and I'm not a legal expert in either one of those, but I have been in discussions about, you know, with different people who are, you know, in human resources of different organizations, and that's the kind of discussions that they're having. Some of those organizations, and I know this has happened in other states that have had this before we have, have just removed that from a pre-employment screening physical uh, that they don't test for marijuana anymore. But if there is an impairment, if there is cause for impairment, if they say, well, you know, if they're a truck driver and they're driving, uh, you know, erratically, at that point they can test you. And if you're positive, then you could lose your job. Uh, same thing with the workman's comp issue that you had. And all of those are very, very real issues that you have to think about just because you say, well, it's been prescribed. Because the way we test for marijuana in on uh, is a lot different than alcohol. You know, it's, once you have it in your system, it's going to be there for depending on several different things, on how fast you metabolize it, on how much you took and the route that you took it, all those things, it could stay there for two to three weeks sometimes. So it is it is an issue. Uh, and, and, and again, I think impairment is the big point of this that we like. Okay, if somebody notices that you're acting erratically at work or you're not able to perform your duties because of a potential impairment problem, it's going to be rolled into any other one, you know, taking uh, opioid uh, narcotics. Uh, in excess that could impair you, uh, or even as prescribed that could impair you. There's those warnings that are there. So that's going to continue to be an issue. And, uh, David, I think that's uh, – hats off to you for bringing that up because those are big, big things that we, uh, we're looking for. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. 
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions and got some good ones right off the bat right here. So we would love to hear your questions about any kind of health care issue for yourself or maybe it's somebody in your family or a friend. The number to call right now is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can always email us. The email address is Remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Barbara in Boonville. Good morning, Barbara. How are things in northeast Mississippi? Going pretty good. Um, I've got a pacemaker, and I've been taking Eliquish for AFib for a few years, and I went to my cardiologist yesterday, and he said uh, I was in AFib since March. And uh, I'd like to know... Is that continually or just off and on? What he meant by that, I don't know. And it, and I'd like to know uh, what causes it and or anything that I can do to help me from having that. Yeah. So atrial fibrillation or AFib is a very common heart condition, and it has to do with the rhythm of the heart. So the way your heart, your heart is, the muscles really cool. Not only does it pump blood, it generates its own electricity and sort of wires, it's got, it's wired in, in the way that it does this. So there's a wiring system in it that um, it originates in the upper two chambers. So it usually originates in the, in the right atrium. So that's the, the right side of the upper two chambers of the heart. And uh, that little node generates a signal that get, then gets transmitted to a different place and then down into the bottom two chambers of the heart. And as that signal passes through all the heart muscle, that's when it contracts. So it's not like the rest of our body. And it, can, it continually does that. It can be modulated to do that through different things like your sympathetic nervous system. Sometimes it needs to beat faster if you're exerting yourself in any kind of way. So that's the normal way it works. And it has to be in a certain fashion. Atrial fibrillation occurs when the upper two chambers are not coordinated in that uh, electrical impulse. And it usually happens when there's damage to that those cells that uh, create that, uh, that initial impulse, that electrical impulse. It can be caused by a number of things. Um, uh, anything that affects the metabolic system of the body, like, for instance, hyperthyroidism, if your thyroid gland is secreting too much thyroid, uh, uh, thyroid hormone, it can make things sort of work faster, and that can cause atrial fibrillation that's associated with it. Usually that's something that they'll check in your blood. Uh, but there's plenty of other things, too. And as we age, as we get older, that is a risk factor just because just like everything else on the body eventually wears out, parts of the heart, that little heart muscle that generates that impulse can wear out, too. The risk with that is, and the reason why you're on Eliquis, which is a blood thinner for those of you out there who don't know what it is, uh, is that is if those two chambers, the upper two chambers of the heart, aren't contracting, and, and we call it fibrillation because fibrillation is, you know, when you like overuse a muscle and you have the muscle spasm and it's just sort of jumping, they say my muscle's jumping, that's what's happening in the heart. Uh, with atrial fibrillation. So it's not a, a coordinated contraction. It's just sort of a quivering of, of the muscle cells. And that causes blood to sort of pool and stay in those upper two chambers. And anytime blood 
pools or stays still, it has the potential to form blood clots. And if you do that, and then eventually that blood clot goes downstream, uh, wherever it forms, it can either uh, go to your lungs or more frequently it can go to the rest of your body. And one of the first sort of uh, exits off of the main uh, highway of your aorta is your brain. So it can go to your brain. It's a straight shot pretty much. And uh, if those clots uh, end up in your brain, then that can cause a stroke. So the eloquence is there to thin the blood enough so that you're in, if you're in AFib, you don't cause those clots. Now, your question about how long has it been there, if it's been there that long, I suspect that you, you pacemakers are all different, and sometimes they can have a recording device within them that's called a loop recorder that can give signals back when they interrogate that device to the cardiologist, and it'll tell them now they're very sophisticated, and they can say, well, you've been in AFib 80% of the time, or you've been in AFib 20% of the time. Um, and it can come and go. You can have, just for whatever reason, those heart cells can can uh, sort of redo what they're, they're designed to do, which is to generate that electrical impulse. And then maybe two hours later, three hours later, days later, they can go back into fibrillation. Um, so that's not, you know, that's not too uncommon. Even if you're only in atrial fibrillation for a very small proportion of the time, there's still a risk with uh, with clotting, with forming those clots. So, um, and people, you know, a lot of times, sometimes you'll feel it, but a lot of people don't feel it. They'll feel just fine, and they'll be walking around in atrial fibrillation and don't know that that has the potential to cause a, a clot that goes downstream. So that's sort of the mechanism of atrial fibrillation. There's different ways to treat it. Certainly, a, a, sometimes a pacemaker does help, uh, depending on if there's other things that are going on. There are medications that sometimes can get people out of atrial fibrillation. And there's also cardioversion, which uses uh, a low amount of electrical input to uh, sort of shock the heart back into a regular rhythm. And then there are also these really cool cardiologists called electrophysiology, uh, electrophysiologists, that what they do is they sort of map out where this abnormal, usually it's an abnormal uh, site that's causing these extra impulses to go into fibrillation. They'll go in and through a cardiac catheterization, map that out, and then they sort of, they either inject something into those cells to cause them to die, the heart muscle that's doing the abnormal electrical impulses or burn it out. And sometimes that's that's very successful, too. Sometimes you have to combine ser- several of these modalities. Generally speaking, the longer you have atrial fibrillation, and if you have heart failure with it, it's probably going to be there a lot longer. So that's my, my you know, mini lecture there, Barbara, about uh, atrial fibrillation. So hopefully that helped to explain it a little bit. Well, it did, and thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for uh, asking those questions. So the rest of us can hear about that, and uh, thank you for listening, too. Uh, incidentally, if you'd like to listen and not maybe you're doing something else on, at 11 on Wednesdays, you can always go to our website, mpbonline.org, and search for archive programs. Or if you'd like to podcast like I do sometimes, if you've got a little commute, uh, you can uh, hear the, the program with any of your podcasting apps. Just search for Southern Remedy. Uh, and you can uh, tune in anytime um, or any of our programs. Actually, I think they're all uh, on uh, on uh, available through the, the apps that way. Uh, back to the heat. You know, uh, 
atrial fibrillation too can uh, can be caused by dehydration. It can be caused by lots of different things. And uh, again, just really cautioning everybody who's out there who has to be out there with your job, or if you're going out and maybe doing some yard work, please be careful. And and honestly, even uh, early in the morning, it's been cool because I've been up at that time. But later in the day, uh, even at like 8 o'clock at night, it is still hot and humid. So please be careful. Don't forget your pets. Uh, Don't forget little ones, uh, your children that are out there, too, because they can get dehydrated pretty quickly. Certainly the the, the hot spots, so to speak, um, and literally are uh, things like your car. Uh, You don't want to leave a child in the car. Unfortunately, we have way too many deaths nationally every year from uh, somebody just darting in to get something in the grocery store and leaving your kids in the car it can get uh, way too hot and particularly again for those younger individuals they can uh, they can have heat stroke or heat exhaustion pretty quick and and have a risk of dying too this is southern remedy dr jimmy with you this morning you can call right now we have open phone lines the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you have a question about any kind of health related issue, just give us a call right now. Uh, the other thing to think about with this time of year is uh, surfaces that can get hot. I know I like to kayak, and I brought my kayak to work um, with me uh, on Monday. And um, I forgot I had my uh, my dress clothes on. I was going to have my work clothes. I basically changed at clinic, and uh, I forgot my shoes uh, to, to get the kayak off. So I thought, well, I'll just walk around barefoot. I'm going to be in the kayak anyway. And in the couple of minutes it took to get the kayak off my car, I had a little bit of a burn on that asphalt with my feet. So that's another thing to think about if you're walking across different surfaces. Don't forget that they can be uh, in excess of 100, 120 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. So just keep that in mind, too, if you're walking out there. And, uh, again, pets, too. Dogs aren't immune to that. Um, they can burn their little pads on their feet pretty easily. Uh, and kids kids can do it, too. And they don't think about it. Actually, I didn't think about it uh, and paid for it. So that's just something else to think about. Um, as as people are traveling this summer, I know gas prices have sort of hit everybody a little bit, but uh, think about uh, sort of map out where you're going. Uh, years ago, we did a program on what to plan if you're going on vacation. Uh, look at the weather patterns there. Think about some of the things that you'd need. Don't forget about the sunblock to help protect yourself against those UV rays and uh, cancer down the road that you might have from uh, from that. Um, but also think about what you're going to need uh, during different times of the year. And again, most places right now are extremely hot. So you need to uh, keep that in mind as you as you travel this summer with your friends or family. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Lee in Memphis. Good morning, Lee. Hey, good morning. Thank you for calling. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I'm past menopause, and I um, have low estrogen. I'm always taking estrogen replacement. I take a hormone replacement therapy that's um, supposed to be conducive to the body's own estrogen, bioidentical hormones. And um, they've been a real hassle to try to apply sometimes. So I was using a patch that was more convenient, 
but I just stopped doing everything altogether, and I've developed something called kyphosis or kyphosis of the thoracic spine in the middle of your spine, kind of toward the upper part of your cervical neck spine, and um, it's very painful. And I'm trying to do things, posture, be aware of my posture. Uh, that I don't know about maybe I could substitute something, eat a better diet, which I try not to eat sugars and stuff. But still, I just am in the, I'm in the dark with all of this because. I'm wondering if the low estrogen causes, not curvature, but just, and not osteoporosis, but just maybe softening of the bone or kind of like scoliosis in the middle of your spine. Yeah, those are great questions, Lee. So um, let me die, let me take uh, take it from the estrogen first. So. Uh, for for if you're female, um, as you get older and go through menopause or approach menopause, it's not uncommon. I mean, that is actually one of the things that you can see is lower estrogen levels, and they can have different effects on your body. Um, <clears throat> what we know about estrogen replacement is that it's very useful in um, decreasing some of those uh, associated symptoms that people have. Sometimes you can have, you know, certainly the hot flashes, uh, tiredness, um, uh, cold intolerance, um, yeah. all those kinds of things. Estrogen can help those things. It's unclear whether the long-term effects of it are worth it, though. And there was a big study called the Women's Health Study that looks at, looked at this. And particularly uh, with some subsets, subsets of people, of, of women, if you take estrogen for long periods of time, it actually can have some uh, negative side effects, like uh, we talked about blood clots earlier. That's actually right. associated with it. So, my, that, it, me, go ahead. That, that's why I was taking the bioidenticals because this is right. long term safer than right. And and uh, you know, some of those are really good, like soy soy based is one. So right. there's phytoestrogens that are made by plants that are a little bit different, mm-hmm. but can mask some of those symptoms. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, so certainly eating that in your diet does, is never associated with any kind of blood clots. So that's one thing to think about. So let me uh, go over to the to the kyphosis. So kyphosis is a is where your back, the upper part of your back, you described it perfectly, is where it sort of bends over like that. And it can be from a number of things. Now, um, th- one of the most common things is osteoporosis porosis or osteopenia. So when you mentioned thinning of the bones, that is osteopenia and osteoporosis. So osteopenia is sort of a mild uh, form of that, and then osteoporosis more severe. And you can have what we call plastic deformities, where bones don't actually break, but they sort of bend over time. And that can be postural related. Uh, it can be a number of things. So, you know, I'm glad to hear Go ahead. I'm sorry, to interrupt. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but is it reversible? If you, yeah, it you know, can. Is, yeah, it can be. It can. It can be, and we we know in postmenopausal women that osteopenia and osteoporosis are potential things that they can get that they can be at risk for. Um, if you haven't had um, what's called a DEXA scan, or basically it's a bone densitometry, so they measure how thick your bones are with an X-ray. That's something to look into. Another thing to think about is if you're deficient in a couple of different things like calcium and vitamin D, so you need to have adequate levels of that. Um, checking a vitamin D level, if I was seeing you, I'd do that too because sometimes what you're getting in your diet may not be adequate. Um, so all of those things can help to prevent further bone loss. 
There are some medications if you have full-blown osteoporosis and you're at risk for a fracture um, that you can take to help stabilize that. Physical therapy can help, particularly as, you know, our bones do change over time. Uh, Our producer, Kevin Farrell, is a big tennis player. And uh, he, no doubt that his dominant arm, if we did a bone dysentometry on it, it's going to be much thicker than the other arm. Uh, so that's, um, that's something to think about, too. Our muscles and the, uh, the type of activity that we have can help modulate how thick those muscles are. So doing some, you know, some, some manipulation of that um, with different exercises to help pull that spine back up over time, you can, you can notice some... Um, you know, some some improvement in that. But you need to make sure it's not something like a compression fracture of your vertebrae. So if you, if you haven't seen somebody about that, I probably would. I'd at least get an x-ray of your back. And if you haven't had that bone density test, I would probably do that. But, um, yeah, 1,200. Walking, go ahead. Is walking just as good, a weight-bearing exercise such as walking? That's not as good as an impact exercise like tennis, but... Does it still help a lot? I mean, is there something that you do every day, like walking? Yeah, yeah. No, it's good, yeah. Particularly for the lower part of the body, it's a little bit different for those upper thoracic vertebrae just because you're not, you know, as doing things. But, yeah, it doesn't have to be fancy. Walking is perfect for doing that. Uh, low low impact weights like some hand weights could be good. You can start off with two to five pounds, and that can help sort of build those muscles up. But they need the right amount of calcium and vitamin D. If you don't have that and you, you're deficient in those kinds of things, then that's not going to help too much. So, what is the daily amount of vitamin D and calcium? I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. So, so for vitamin D, if you're not deficient, 400 international units a day is, should be enough. And sometimes it's combined with calcium. So with calcium, generally speaking, you need to be taking anywhere from 1,800 to 2,000 milligrams. Uh, you'll hear some people say 1,500, but really, you know, as you get older, you need more of that. Um, and there's there's all kinds of different ways to take that. I, it really doesn't matter too much when you get down to it. There are things like calcium citrate that theoretically you absorb a little bit better, but calcium carbonate's fine too. A lot of people will just take Tums for their calcium intake. Certainly, you can do it naturally, you know, through foods uh, that you eat um, that have different calcium amounts if you look at the labels and how much you're eating of it. But the vitamin D, you know, vitamin D, we get a little bit of that converted. Uh, We ingest some of it, but it also, sunlight helps to do that a little bit too, to convert it to the, the type of vitamin D that we need for different processes. But um, really, for vitamin D in particular, if you te- if you check a calcium level in the body, it doesn't tell you as much. Really, that bone density test tells you that. But the vitamin D level is a blood test that's really easy to get. And if it's below about 40, I'd probably say you probably need to take a little bit of that. Is there another exercise besides walking to get to the thoracic spine effectively to prevent the kyphosis or to reverse what's going on? Yeah, I would, um, you know, honestly, I would do something that really helps to develop your core muscles on your back and your your front. Everything, you know, when we say core, basically from your pelvis up to your neck, um, those are extremely important in stabilizing the spine. And you could do things like yoga, Pilates, um, anything like that would be great. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing a leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you this morning on a hot day here in the South. Uh, the number to call if you have a question about your health care is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you'd like to email us, send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, we're just talking about earwax in the studio, um, not in the Harry Potter, uh, every flavored beans type of way, but just in general. Uh, common question that a lot of patients that uh, come into the office have is like, you know, I can't hear anything. Can you look in there, look in my ear, and do I have earwax in there? And what we do is we look in the ear. We have this little instrument called an, an otoscope, and uh, it allows us to look in there with a light. And basically, if there's a lot of cerumen, that's just a fancy name for earwax. You know, us doctors, we have to rename everything. Uh, And uh, there's a couple of ways you can get that out. Now, it's not that earwax is a bad thing. It's your body's natural way of coating the what we call the external ear canal. So that's everything from the outside of that little canal on your ear all the way back to your eardrum. And it, uh, those cells that line that, they actually like to have a little bit of earwax on them because it protects them against things that could fall in there, that could do some irritation. So it's, again, the body's way of trying to protect that space. But sometimes you can have an impaction of that. So that's just a lot of earwax that hasn't uh, drained out or made its way out of the ear in, in the way that it should. And if it is totally occluding that canal... Uh, you know, the way sound waves travel, you're not going to get sound waves to your eardrum and you're going to have decreased hearing on that ear. And some people's earwax is, it's all different. It's very interesting. Uh, I don't want to sound too gross or like, man, he's like getting way into the weeds about earwax. But some earwax is really crusty and and uh, and dry. Uh, other is, you know, sort of gooey uh, uh, consistency to it. Everybody's different, and there's not really a good way to change that. It is what it is. So um, particularly for the the harder type earwax, it may take a, a while to get that out. Now, in the office, somebody who's trained to do it, you shouldn't be going and poking stuff down into your ear canal. We've had You can either push the earwax uh, and cause an, an impaction just because you're pushing it deeper into that canal. Or you uh, may cause some damage to the eardrum from poking things in there. But in somebody who has direct visualization that knows where that earwax is and is trained to do that, we basically go in with what's called a speculum. It's a little little soft plastic device that we can get that out. Or we can um, have this little uh, syringe with a small tube on it, and we can irrigate the ear to sort of 
of flush that out. Um, and there's home kits for this, too. Ceruminex is also another one that helps soften up the earwax, again, potentially if it's really hard to get that out. And that might improve your hearing. But if you've done that or, or ideally if somebody's looked at your ear canal and's like, well, there's no wax there, I can see your eardrum. But if you're still having problems hearing, then I would go get, uh, you know, they, they're probably going to send you for a um, for, an, for an auditory testing um, and uh, that that really has to be done with uh, in the correct way. You know, there's all kinds of bedside. I used to teach a physical diagnosis course, and there's all kinds of bedside ways to do this. You can stand behind somebody and whisper certain things, or you can uh, rub your fingers together behind, right behind their ear without them noticing and see if they can hear that. But uh, honestly, uh, you know, that's not going to test all the frequencies and it, you really have to have an audiology uh, exam for that. Hearing, if you do qualify for something like a sensory hearing loss, so that just means that there's a problem between those cells in the ear that, that uh, are responsible for transmitting those, those sounds to what your brain is interpreting them as. If there's some damage there, and again, that can be from most of the time it's loud, repetitive loud noises, either in your work or recreation, uh, playing music too loud, those kinds of things. That can uh, damage those cells over time, and you really can't get much of that back. Um, so a hearing aid basically ramps up the sound. In the old-style hearing aids, they just amplified everything. Now they can be much more selective. They can uh, be connected to your phone in different situations, like a loud restaurant. You can uh, uh, tune those a little bit on, on the fly, uh, just picking up your phone and, uh, and sending messages to it to uh, filter out some of those external sounds that you don't need to hear. Um, but all that needs to be done by somebody who's qualified to do that. The ear, nose, and throat doctors are otolaryngologists. They are our um, experts on that. And uh, they work with a, a team of people, including audiologists, are the ones that sort of uh, they conduct all that hearing testing. And there may be some other things that go on, too. There are some conditions that can affect the bones of the ear, uh, so that are attached to the, between the eardrum and those hair cells uh, in the cochlea to help det- uh, detect that sound. So, um, you know, again, getting a good exam is a good idea. It's not just because of. Uh, it may not be just because of listening to loud music when you were younger uh, or having a job where there's repetitive things going on. I always try to protect my hearing, too. You know, ear ear um, earplugs or uh, ear protection are important if you're using that. Obviously, once I knew I wanted to be a doctor, I was like, well, I got to be able to hear. Um, I might want to take care of my ears a little bit better if I'm mowing grass or if I'm out doing some uh work in the yard so keep that in mind i know it's a hassle just to do that but there's some you know some great hearing protection out there that's uh, pretty cheap and uh, worthwhile particularly if you're involved in that on a day-to-day basis this is southern remedy dr jimmy with you this morning um, uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four let's go to our friend sue in beaumont good morning sue good morning you're talking about the, the uh, hearing and everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it took me, I, uh, this is just an example. I had bad eyesight, and I put off for years going to get my eyes operated on, you know. Finally, after years of near <laughs> blindness, the doctor, you know, operated on my eyes, and I, my vision was great. But I noticed that while my vision was impaired, 
that my hearing became much more acute. And I, I, I wonder, you know, your body, it seemed like my body compensated for the loss of one sense by making another sense more acute, which my sense of hearing. And I'm sorry to say that my sense of hearing is kind of fading away now that my eyesight's improved. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Um, you know, our, our brain has to, uh, we're hardwired with all of our senses, with our five senses, to receive input from those continually. In other words, unless you shut your eyes, unless you close your eyes, you're going to receive light that is reflected off of different things. And we see that both as from a, a standpoint of brightness and of color. And it, simultaneously, we're hearing things, right, at the same time. And then we're also feeling things. We get feedback of where we are, even if you don't even notice it. All of these, these, uh, all of the nervous system is sending that input back to your body, taste in your mouth. But if you think about it, you really have to concentrate and be like, oh, I'm going to taste this. And then you're ignoring other things. The brain filters this kind of input uh, in such a way that it's going to ignore these signals or still get there, but it has the ability to sort of cut those off and just sort of uh, focus in on some things. And you can do this. You know, there's there's ways to practice this. If you close your eyes on a, uh, you know, on a late cool night uh, or early morning uh, to really listen in to what you hear, you can hear so many different things because you're limiting the brain's ability to uh, have to filter out all those other things. So when we lose the ability of one of those senses, it makes sense that the brain's not really receiving that as much, so it focuses on some of these other senses to gain that input about our environment. So it's fascinating the way the brain filters this, because if you think about it, all of that is always coming at you all the time. And there are some... Um, Unfortunately, there's some there's some neurologic disorders um, where the brain doesn't have that ability, and kids very early on are overwhelmed with this sensory input. So some of the sensory input disorders we know now can be very debilitating to people because they have they they can't filter that that way. Uh, but it's very common. It's not necessarily that you can hear more than what you did. It's that your brain's really concentrated on it right now, and it's isolated so, such that it becomes a lot more uh, sensitive than what you were doing before. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical questions answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.
This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls and questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. Uh, if you're not able to call in, and we certainly understand everybody's got busy schedules during the day, and we do appreciate you listening to Southern Remedy, you can always email us, send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Brenda. Good morning, Brenda from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Uh, good morning. How are you? Good. What's your I have a question. Okay. I have a question about my ear canals. I have very dry skin in my ear canals, and it literally peels like snake skin every day. Mm-hmm. What, what can I do about that? Are you putting anything in it right now, like any kind of liquid or anything like that? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, so the first thing is to make sure it's not related to some other skin disorder that you might have. So sometimes things like seborrhea or even psoriasis, uh, you know, I'm just picking those out, but there's multiple other things that can sometimes contribute to that. If that's not the case, um, I, you know, one of the things that I tell people, if you don't want to buy the fancy stuff that removes earwax in your ear, you might want to try something like just a few drops of mineral oil. And that may be something that you can you can try. Now, if it if it's if the skin's peeling off to the point where it's raw, that's probably not a good a good choice. I'm not aware. I'm trying to think if I if I'm off the top of my head can remember any kind of prescription type thing that you can do. But honestly, if it's just really just flaky skin and dry skin in the ear canal, I would try that mineral oil just just to see. A lot of times that skin won't peel off if it has the, sort of that nice coating there. Uh, it won't sloth off. We we end up sloughing off a lot of skin off our bodies, and that's another thing that the earwax um, helps to sort of keep that down a good bit um, just by that coating there. But that's what I would try if you haven't. just And it doesn't have to be a whole lot, just a few drops in there. Uh, you might want to move okay. your head around so it can sort of get everywhere on there, but uh, around your ear canal. But if it continues to be a, uh, if you haven't seen an ear, nose, and throat doctor, um, that's who I would go see because there may be some other things that are going on there um, that that need to be looked at. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah, it's amazing. There's nothing worse than having a problem with your ear canal. I mean, that's a, a surefire way. You think about it. There's not too many areas of the body that, well, there are. But the ear canal is uh, one of those areas that if you're having any kind of, uh, you know, itching there, it can drive you crazy. Uh, and unfortunately, foreign bodies in the ear, particularly if you're a younger child, uh, that is that is a big uh, issue. Uh, I I still, you know, that's one of the things I love to, like, try to get those out. It's almost like a game of treasure hunting to see what kind of beads or Lego pieces uh, or other things, pebbles uh, that are in uh, that are in the ear canal that uh, a child has, has uh, put in there. And interestingly enough, and I know nobody would think this, when you ask them, did you put anything in your ear? You know what the answer is? No, I didn't put anything in my ear, and there's a big old glaring piece of a toy that's stuck in there. Um, but that can be really hard to get out sometimes, particularly if it's been in there for a while. It causes a lot of inflammation and uh, takes a little bit of expertise in doing that. But, uh, yeah, ears are important, uh, not just for hearing, but for comfort as well. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. 
MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. <laughs> 